Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast, Season 1, Episode 62. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we get the opportunity again to sit down with Dick Foth on Back Channel with Foth before we jump into our interview with, with Pastor Aaron Cole, where we discuss leadership and prioritizing time and resources. Dick, it's so excited to, to be with you once again, and welcome back. I like it. I'm glad to be welcomed back. And we're, we're excited to, to, to have you back, man. I always learn so much and um, such a value. Dick, I got two questions that listeners sent in um, today. The first question is, how does a dad cultivate authenticity with his, with his boys or with his sons? You know, I think uh, presence and by that I don't mean gifts, I mean locational presence, as much as possible is the biggest item in any relationship. Mm. Um, And you don't always have to be talking about deep things, but just doing things together. I watch, we have three daughters and one son, and I look at things that I did or didn't do over those growing up years, and I I wish I could do a couple of things differently, but uh, one of our daughters and her husband have three boys, and uh, each of the each of our children have boys. But I think that that understanding that time spent um, with boys in doing what boys do you know which is oftentimes rough and tumble it's not always right but but time spent with is at the heart of it Uh, i think uh, showing them your world we live in a culture where more and more the adults are being expected to invest in a child's world Hmm. Uh, it's children have shifted over the last couple of generations uh, to, to being sort of the centerpiece in, in, and I'm speaking now more in American culture, but being the centerpiece of the home. And part of the challenge is that as parents realize that a, a child today um, is in a different location. And by that, I mean, and you're asking me about boys, but yeah, for sure. we can, can go either direction here. Um, Back in the 90s, once the internet came into play, and especially now with social media, that was the first generation not to have to go to an authority figure for information. Hmm. And that changed the whole topography of human relationships right there. So it isn't just a child coming home from school saying, my teacher says, now the child is checking the teacher in Hmm. class on Google to see if what they say is right. So you have a thousand voices coming into a child's life. And, but there's no stronger voice than that of a caring parent, I believe. And that, that the time spent with a father and son is key and showing them, introducing them to your world. Uh, My friend, John Ashcroft, who's been on this program before, his father was a, was a pastor and a college president. And when he was a young man, probably preteen, early teens, his dad would take him with him in the car when 
he spoke on various congregations. And on the way home, his father would engage him in discussing the points of the message. And John came, his father's very conceptual, and John is too. And, and John's way at age 78 now yeah. of speaking and thinking in no small part, I think, comes from his father wow. and those kinds of conversations. So you have dads who are fishermen who take yeah. their boys fishing because yeah. they're introducing him to their world. Yeah. Or sometimes uh, fathers who are more conversationalists engage in conversations around the dinner table. And uh, it, on and on it goes. So I would say introducing the child to your world and introducing the child to your friends. Hmm. There are uh, uh, many of us growing up had folks like our listeners who were missionaries come and sit at our dinner table. And again, this was before you could go on screen and see a YouTube piece. And I'd listen to those stories yeah. from from deepest Africa or from Thailand or from the fjords of Norway or yeah. what I, wherever. And it created a national geographic world for me because my dad introduced me to his friends. Wow. So I would say that's one of the great ways to influence uh, our, our boys. That's good. That's good. Dick, the, the second question that kind of follows on that line um, how, do, how does a father know what to share and what not to share about his life and maybe his past life? Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the bigger challenge is, um, you know, what do you, what do you say and when do you say it? What hmm. do you tell? First of all, when it comes to the sordid things of our past, or yeah. maybe not sordid, just, just dumb stuff, you yeah. know, I've often said that I know God forgives sin. I'm not sure what he does with stupid. I think <laughs> stupid's on me. <laughs> and um, so I think, especially when our children are going through challenges, for us to identify with those challenges and say, let me tell you a story about me. I mm. don't suggest that we confess to children things we have already confessed to God and wow. have been forgiven. Hmm. Um, because if they're, if they're forgiven by the Most High God, yeah. I don't think I need to put that burden on a child. Now, there are moments in time when we might need to share something that's pretty deep, yeah. and sometimes, especially if we felt it damaged us. Hmm. But I don't think detail is the key. Hmm. I think broad stroke is the key. Because um, it, it most often, I don't think in my experience, helps that much. That's a both opinion. Yeah. But, but it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not telling the truth when I don't tell every detail of whatever it is. It's, it's not going to help me to say it again. Yeah. And it's not going to help that child say it again. They just need to know that I get their world. Wow, okay? that's good. I think that's, that's one piece. And, but I, but I, so I'm saying don't share those things in detail, but do share the fact that you have struggled. Hmm. Do share the fact that, you know, I, I sometimes, you know, I've, I've told children, you know, I didn't always believe in Jesus fully, you know, hmm. I, or I thought I did, but I didn't act like it. Or I 
I walked off the rails over here and I won't go in. So they need to know that we are human and struggle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they had these uh, other ideas about it, especially when we're in mission or ministry work. There mm -hmm. is an aura that's created. And that, in, in, instead of opening the doors to our children, it becomes an awesome weight to them. Wow. So I think, anyway. Balance it through that. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. Dick, uh, always appreciate our time together. And uh, it's always great to learn from you and your wisdom and experience. We're going to go ahead and jump into the interview with, with Pastor Aaron Cole, where we discuss leadership and prioritizing time and resources. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, Aaron Cole. He's a pastor and uh, just got to get to know him just a few minutes before we hit record. Aaron, will you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience before we jump into some questions? Sure. Uh, yeah, my, I'm, I'm Aaron Cole. Uh, I uh, pastor Life Church, Wisconsin in the Milwaukee area. Um, so I've been here for 18 years this fall. Uh, and uh, basically, we're a multi-site church uh, in uh, four locations here in the greater Milwaukee area and one that we just opened in Appleton, which is just north of here, about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And so local church pastor, have a huge heart for missions uh, and um, glad to be here, honored to be a part. Aaron, did you grow up in Wisconsin or did you move to Wisconsin to, pl to, to plant the church? Yeah, no, I grew, I grew up in Arkansas, so that's where you probably hear the accent a little bit. I, I grew up in a town called Fort Smith. So if you've seen the movie True Grit, where the railroad ends, that's my hometown right there. Okay. So uh, that's where I grew up and, uh, and then spent about 10 years in associate work and, uh, and youth pastoring, executive pastor, that kind of a deal. And then, uh, and then about 18 years ago, um, I'd never been to Milwaukee. Uh, I, I married a, a, my wife, married me because I was from the South and thought we would never go north. And so, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you tell God you won't go to Maui and you're not, but if you tell God you won't go to Milwaukee, you will. And so, <laughs> deal. so yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, well, Aaron, normally we begin the podcast kind of with just a, a lesson learned. And uh, we just found that people learn well from, you know, all of our wins. That's something, but kind of just challenges we've overcome and just a story. And I just wanted to begin the podcast as we talk today about leadership intelligence. Um, do you have a story of this, something that how has helped you provide clarity um, and get clarity as you lead and, and, and guide people in ministry and life? Yeah. So, you know, um, I think that, uh, I know this is kind of a buzzword a bit today, but self-awareness, um, and, uh, perspective, maybe even some self-leadership. Uh, these are some things that I kind of, um, value and lean into. Uh, and, um, one of the things for me that I started doing, um, probably, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was, I was 40, uh, and just there were some things that weren't really going on with, in me, but were going on in people around me that I was connected to. When I was watching some guys that were older than me, uh, unfortunately, just um, kind of crash and burn and uh, make some mistakes. And, uh, and so I went in and um, began to meet with a, a counselor, um, a PhD, Dr. Dan Green, uh, who was uh, pretty highly rated in our area and noted, uh, especially with some, in some ministerial circles. 
And so began that journey with Dan. And I remember sitting in his office the first day and he said, so what, what's the problem? And I said, well, I'm sure I have a lot of problems, but the deal is, is I just see that I have the potential, the octane to really make some dumb mistakes. I had a propensity in my own self and in my personality type. Um, I'm a type A personality. I'm very cleric. I'm very driven. I'm very focused. And I've just seen some guys that are uh, not really making some wise decisions and it's really costing them. And, and I know like the average age at that point in time, I think was like 46 or 47 for someone in my profession and, and my background to, to kind of crash and burn. And I was just like, I just, I don't want to do that. And, uh, and so I'm trying to be proactive and not reactive in this and uh, kind of do what I need to do now so that I don't make mistakes later. Not that I can't make mistakes, but anyhow, so for me, it's been a, it's a, when you ask me that question, it's kind of been a journey of just, I think when you learn to lead yourself and you learn to understand yourself and you self-leadership, which I think leading yourself is the most difficult person that you lead. I think then really you can start to learn and connect and, and even have patience and um, for others. And so that for me has been when, when you ask me that question, that's kind of what I think of. It's been this journey that I've been on with Dr. Green about understanding how God's created me and what's inside of me and what God wants to do. And, um, and again, uh, really trying to not just move the ball further or faster, but making sure that I'm doing it in a healthy and a sustainable way that, that lasts a long, a long time and that I don't, um, I don't implode or explode in that process. Is that one of your leadership um, characteristics, being proactive? Because what you shared to me is someone that, that has vision to be able to see that this is, and self-awareness, honestly, I know you said you wanted to work, but to say that, hey, this is somewhere I could be, I want to have the courage to do this, I'm going to engage in this process, and so I can make sure that, or do my best that this doesn't happen to me. Is that just part of your leadership to be more proactive than reactive in nature? Yeah. So, so for me, I, when I, I started out in ministry and this is going to sound really naive and maybe funny to people, but I just really, I, I don't, I mean, I knew you were fighting the devil, so to speak, but I really didn't think you were fighting other people. And, and I really was very mm-hmm. naive to think that, man, I'm going to graduate Bible college and I'm going to go out and I'm going to, um, I'm just going to do this. Like how difficult is this? You know, I'm going to be the next, the next, uh, Billy Graham or whatever, like this is going to be it. You know, this is, I've got this fire and this passion, this whatever. And the thing that I learned is that um, not everybody saw it my way. Surprise, surprise. My wife laughed at that. Um, And that, and the the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of agendas and there's a lot, there's a lot of good people that just see things differently. And that's not right or wrong. It's just reality. So there's a tension that begins to happen. And so for me, uh, matter of fact, I did my, my doctoral dissertation on, on, on the management of leadership tension mm. and how it grows a leader and how it grows an organization. Because what you find is, is that people that, that burn out or rust out, they, um, they implode or they explode in the process. They either abdicate mm. uh, that type of, of, of uh, like, I don't really want to know it. I don't really want to deal with it. It's almost like if, if I stick my head in the sand, it'll go away. If, I, mm. if you can't see me, I can't see you. Or they, um, they, they, they completely just, um, uh, they, they just kind of explode. Like they, they just try to power up on it and try to make it go away. They try to eradicate it. And so abdication or eradication doesn't help intention. It actually hurts you as a leader in the organization or the mission you're trying to, 
trying to, to, to lead. Uh, but when you lean into the tension, when you kind of go, okay, what does this mean? What does this say? What, what does this say about me? What does this say about uh, what we're trying to do here? Um, maybe I'm missing something. It's kind of the, the Stephen Covey principle of seeking to understand before you're understood. And let's have candid conversations and let's have some real open dialogue and let's be as transparent and vulnerable that we can be. Then really, truly, in my opinion, that's when, um, you've got to get down to the, the brass tacks of things and you're really able to move things forward and, and it helps grow you as a leader. But yeah, it's when I'm, I am always like, uh, I want to know, you know, if, um, if I'm missing something, I, you, you can't fix what you don't know. Yeah. And I want to grow and develop and move on. And I don't want to be the guy in the room that everybody has this opinion of, like they can't stand, right? But nobody <laughs> wants to tell them. And even if you try to tell him, he's like, no, no, you don't know what you're talking about because he's in complete denial. Um, or the guy that just tries to bombastically just bust his way through and everybody's just enduring. And as a leader, whether you're leading followers or it's collegial, it's a, you know, kind of a, uh, a Peter and, and Paul kind of a scenario or it's uh, or, or you're leading up. Um, I, I really think that your level of self-awareness kind of dictates a lot of things that happen around you and being proactive to kind of look at that stuff first. It opens a door to be able to fix it, change it, uh, and actually kind of hit your mission and your mark and move on. Is that one of the biggest lessons, you know, as someone that's went through a dissertation in the process, it's, it's an arduous process. You go through it all. You know, it was that the biggest takeaway home point, what you just shared. Is that what, I mean, I know you can't distill your whole dissertation into a, a soundbite, but is there another thing that you took away from your doctoral dissertation that you've put into application, um, into your leadership? No, I, I think that's, I mean, that, that's the crux of it. It's, it's leaning into, you know, I heard Andy Stanley say years ago that um, not all tension needs to be solved. Hmm. There are tensions that just need to be managed. And so I, for me, it's like, well, what does that look like? And how does that work? And does that, does that actually, you know, I believe that struggle produces strength. Does that actually hmm. work? And so it's kind of like a guitar. You know, if a guitar has, if there's no tension on the strings, it produces no sound. Hmm. If the tension is too tight, it, it does produce sound, but the sound that it produces is so um, off yeah. that it, it makes no sense. And it's just, it's just noise. But if a string on a guitar is, is, has the right amount of tension, then it produces music. Yeah. And I think the same thing is true with us is it's just, um, you know, it's the, the, the essence is, is that we're all dealing with tension. So because you deal with tension, that doesn't mean that you're wrong. Huh. Um, but how you deal with that, ultimately, in my opinion, um, it kind of it kind of determines your level of success. Hmm. Um, because, again, like, think about it. So um, when you get out and you start in ministry or whatever and you begin to hit a headwind on something. If you ignore that, it's still there, yeah. uh, whether it's a congregate member, whether it's a struggle, it's whatever. And then the same thing is true if you, um, but if you try to overpower it and just try to almost dictatorially try to mow your way through it, well, that, you know, that ends on, especially if you're a local <laughs> church pastor, I mean, you're going to get voted out if you were voted in or whatever, or people are just going to up and leave. And so either one of those don't work. So you can't be in denial of. And so, yeah, that's, that's the essence of it. It's trying to find that sweet spot and, um, and manage that tension. And so what does that do when you manage it? And what happens is uh, it creates the leadership identity. It creates a, a kind of a, it creates you as a leader. And um, 
And so that pain shapes you in a way, and it can shape you in a way that can either destroy you or it can either really mold you in the image that God wants you to be in order to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish, regardless where you are. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that, you know, if whether we're leading followers or we're leading or collegially, I think was the word you used. Do you manage tensions or address tensions differently if it's horizontal or it's vertical or whatever? There's some guiding principles that you use when you're when you're walking in these areas that you you said the tension doesn't go away if you ignore it. It's still there. Um, But are there different ways that you found that might be some guiding principles that you could share? Yeah. So I, I, you know, again, I think, uh, like, so again, it goes back to, um, acknowledging that there's a tension, acknowledging that what, and, and, and figuring out what that tension is and why it's there. Some things, again, there are some tensions to solve. So, uh, there are, you know, sometimes you do have people that are misplaced. Like if you're leading, so the people that you are, are, let's just say that, that work for your organization that you're leading there in your downline, so to speak. Um, there's a certain amount of like, uh, how do you say um, probably directness and candor that you can have with those individuals within reason uh, to be able to say, you know, to figure out, Hey, um, you know, it's kind of like, this is what I need you to do. This really isn't up for debate. It's kind of like, if you, if you work at McDonald's, you have to wear the hat. Yeah. You know, right. right. So if you want to work here, you got to wear the hat. This is really isn't up for debate. So I'm not really going to weigh into, so if you're going to create tension, uh, you're going to create frustration. You're going to create this, then I'm, I'm, uh, we're, 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 we're done pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but again, if I'm, if I am trying to, let's say it's a, a college student or an intern that's trying to learn, then I need to be able to speak in a way in which they hear what I am saying. Hmm. So there's been studies after studies that have proven that people don't really learn by lecture as much as they learn by uh, answering questions. Okay. So questions is like one of the best. So, so in those types of settings, I'm, I'm less direct and I'm more like inquisitive to go, well, how do you think this works? And why do you think this? Because if they can discovery, that, that's where I'm looking for. Self-discovery and discovery of information is, is probably one of the best mechanisms to, 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 to teach, to learn. So if I'm trying to teach someone, if I'm trying to bring someone up, um, then I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to do that through discovery and I'm, I'm just wading into the tension. So why are you frustrated and what's going on and what's happening in that type of a deal leading them to where I'm at? If it's someone that's above me, uh, again, it's somewhat similar. You're really trying to, um, trying to be a place where there's a certain amount of honor. You don't ever want to be disrespectful, uh, whatever, but at the same time, you're trying to, uh, just, um, I think like accountability, accountability is an upward. It's not a downward. Yeah. So if I want to be accountable to someone, I have to make myself available to that person. And so then I need to be the one to walk in and initiate the conversation. I need to be the one that walks in and, and, and not waiting for them to come to me, but rather I go to them. So it's really more out of a relational position. So I think if it's, if it's someone that it's a direct downline, um, or it's a collegial relationship that I have a really tight relationship with, it's much more direct. It's much more, let's just get to the, to the bottom line uh, type of a deal within reason. If it's someone that is below me that I'm trying to bring up, trying to, it's kind of like a Paul to a Timothy, it's going to be a lot more self-discovery for hmm. the most part. And if it's going upward, it's going to be a lot more about uh, respect and, and an honor that I am coming to them in a place of submission. Um, it's kind of like the centurion with Jesus. You know, he was a man of authority and a man under authority. Hmm. And again, he managed that. I don't mean to read into that text, but he managed that tension of understanding who he was yeah. and where his place was and, and whether he was leading horizontally, vertically, 
you know, um, up, down, left, right, he, he, he knew what to do. And so I think those become, uh, those become the, the, the challenges because here's what happens is when you have tension in a relationship, uh, missional tension, um, you're trying to bring things, you're trying to create culture. Anytime you're trying to do something, there's a rub. There's going to become a friction. And that friction is going to produce pain. And that pain then, as a leader, is going to, you're either going to lean into it uh, or you're going to, or you're, or you're going to lean out of it. And by leaning out of it, you're trying to blow it up or you're trying to, you're trying to eradicate it or you're trying to um, abdicate. It's like, I, I'm just going to act like this, this exists. But if I'm leaning into it, then I'm kind of wading into those waters. And I think that requires a ton of emotional intelligence and a ton of self-awareness of understanding who you are and where you are, and then also who you're dealing with and where they are and where they're coming from. It's a the basketball uh, uh, kind of a paradigm of court presence. I've got to understand where I am in light of where the ball is, where my opponent is, and where the goal is. Where, where, where's the hoop? And, and in order That's to good. put points on the board. And so it's and so when I'm going to manage tension, when I'm going to do that, I've got to understand who they are, where they're coming from. Uh, I got to understand where I am, what are, what's our objective, and that the the ball. So this is this is the mechanism in which I'm going to move to in, in order for us to hit mission. And so that comes with a ton of just relational and, and emotional intelligence. That's good. That's good. To shift gears just a little bit, um, we as we before we jumped into the recording part, you were sharing about your work with Convoy and you're leading multi-site church and all these different things. Um, how do you, how have you found clarity and prioritize, and you obviously you just finished, you finished your dissertation. Um, how have you found clarity in prioritizing your time and your resources? Because it seems like you, you got a lot going on. Is there anything that helps you prioritize? Um, yeah. Where you're focusing your time and your resources. Yeah. So for me, first of all, I, I am uh, like, man, I, I'm one of these kind of people, like I get bored really, really fast. Um, I am, uh, I, I need like new stimulus, new, new, uh, inputs, new, new challenges. Um, so, uh, like there are times where for me, it's a deal of, um, how do I say this? Uh, like pastoring, you know, sometimes the church isn't growing as fast and we're not achieving mission as quickly as I want, but we're going as fast as the team that we have and or the people or the place or whatever may be happening. And I think even right now in this season of COVID, uh, a lot of pastors can identify that. We want to be, what we're doing in 2020 is radically different than what we plan to do in 2020. And it's even more frustrating when you look at 2021 to go, when is this going to be over? What's going to happen? So in any leadership form, you're just, you're trying to pivot and lean. So for me, I go back to, um, for me, I go back to, you know, what are my big rocks? What, what are the big you know, it's the, the, the big issues that I'm trying to, to accomplish. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I, I am getting across the finish line myself. So, you know, Paul says, what is it? Profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul. Yeah. So in all this, I don't want the work of God to kill the work of God in me. Hmm. Uh, but I'm not really worried about, you know, um, rusting out. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm just not wired like that. So, yeah. But what I have done in that regard for myself in that, in that piece of it is, is, is create margin uh, okay. because as, as a type A leader and kind of a heavy charger and that type of a deal, it's very easy for me just to jump in the deep end and just start swimming. And so the, the priority for me on that is, is margin. 
you know, uh, so it's, it's the rhythm that we see with Jesus. It's like, I'm going to stress and push in a season and then I'm going to release. And so sometimes that's in a day. Sometimes that's over a week. Sometimes that's over a month. Sometimes that's over a season, but I, I there are seasons. So it's kind of like an accountant. If you look at an accountant in, in, uh, January till mid April, uh, they're swamped. Yeah. Look at them in midsummer, like in July, they got all the time in the world. It's not so it, if you look at them in one aspect of their life, they're completely out of balance um, and the rhythm is off. But the truth of the matter is, is that it, it counterbalances itself in the summer. And so, so is ministry uh, and leadership. It just, you can't control everything. I, I can't control the particular season that I'm in, but what I try to do is make sure I've got enough margin so that I've got rhythm. Uh, the second thing I do is what are the things that I'm responsible for? So this is more of my profession, my job, uh, my calling, if you would. And so my family would fall into the, into the margin piece with me. That's kind of one in the same, but, but this is more about the calling. So for me, I feel like, man, my calling is to see life change happen to the local church. I think the local church is the hope of the world. And so whether I'm whether, so like I'm connected heavily with convoy of hope. So I just became the chairman there, um, in August and so, uh, and I've been on the, the board and the executive board for quite some time now. I love Convoy of Hope, but I understand that its place is going through the local church, it's connecting with the local church. It, it connects with businesses, it connects with missionaries, it connects with educators and, and agronomists with, with what they're doing with, with agricultural initiatives. But it's all trying to cycle back to become not humanitarian, but truly compassion-based so that it's Jesus-centric. If not, we're just a bunch of do-gooders. And that's great, but it doesn't really save a, a soul. But when you combine ministering to someone's physical body and serving them physically, the way Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, when you do it to the least of these, you combine that with the gospel message that, that doesn't just touch the person, touches the soul. Uh, that, that's where the life change comes. That, that's where the true holistic aspect of that. But that all that person that's been reached and touched and saved eventually they need to find themselves in the local church. We know they're a part of the church, big C, but in a local congregation. So for me, it, it all comes back to that. So my responsibility at life church that becomes, you know, that's kind of my bread and butter. If you would say, I mean, that's kind of what pays the bills in essence. And then everything else comes out of that. It's out of that primary calling. Here's the big main rock that I have. Well, I have a huge passion again for missions. And so that expresses itself and, and me being involved in missions endeavors, me serving and speaking and doing that, uh, that involves me uh, leading and giving money. Uh, we, I mean, we're, we're huge at, at Life Church about, about uh, giving that away. We kind of say around the corner and around the world, you take care of God's world, he'll take care of yours. And so uh, convoy, all of that, that all fits right in that whole sphere of it. Um, and then it's also, with, uh, you know, it's also then out of that comes, um, you know, like things that, uh, that are um, like, like the educational pursuit. Again, that was just helping me kind of, that was my sharpening the ax. I was in a season where I was um, quite frankly, a little bored. If I can really be honest, I knew God had called me and I knew I was, uh, uh, I didn't need to jump out of the fire and go someplace else and have it, but I needed a new input. So I needed to stay placed where I'm at, planted and bloom where I'm planted. But I had done all I could do, but it was going to take some time for several things at the church and for the staff. Because sometimes you can, you can outpace everybody, right? You, yeah. you can just, you're so far ahead and then you're frustrated. So I've learned again, that margin, that pace, that rhythm. And so I needed something to do that was productive. That was going to continue to go back to that priority of this is my calling is local church. And so 
I started a master's program at Oral Roberts University, and then I finished that. And then, uh, and then I had a buddy that connected me with George Fox University out of Portland. And so began that, and that opened up a whole different deal. And then you've got the beast of writing a dissertation, you know, and so it just kind of, it kind of goes. And then what I found is, is that when I did that, it, it, it was helping me continue to stay focused on local church, but also helped me stay engaged in local church. Cause again, sometimes that's counterintuitive. Uh, sometimes the thing that I need to do is opposite of what I feel like I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so in order to stay where I'm at, I have to kind of go somewhere else in essence. I, I have to go somewhere else educationally. I have to go somewhere else. I, I spend, some, spend some energy and money, uh, time and resources somewhere else. And so I heard it said one time, uh, it's hard to office in your study or study in your office. You know, hmm. it's hard to work on the church when you're in the church. Yeah. So, um, so again, it's just some of those, those things. And so that, that for me of me, being okay. And then what's I, Aaron Cole, am created to, it's my why to use a Simon Sinek. It's the, it's the, this is what I'm called to do. I I believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I want to see as many people come to faith in Christ as possible. And, and I think the greatest mechanism to do that is what Jesus established, which was the local church. And so all these other incredible ministries and opportunities that go back to that, I'm all for that. But if, and if it's not like, you know, you get opportunities, uh, to say yes to a lot of things, but if it doesn't come back into that and, and it doesn't kind of drill into that, then um, I, I'm just, I just say, thank you. No, thank you. I don't think it's wrong. I just, it's just not for me. Yeah. So good. Shifting gears just a little bit. Um, obviously you're leading at multiple levels and um, you're working with different generations. Um what behaviors are you personally using and putting into place as um, in modeling discipleship and coaching and, and mentoring the different generations that you work with? Maybe the younger generations, maybe we could start there and then um, maybe look upwards to, to maybe that people might be a little bit, bit older than you and I. Yeah. So, again, I, I think a lot of this goes back to um, seeking to understand rather than to be understood. And so, again, um, uh, just because I say it and I'm the leader doesn't mean that it's going to happen. I, I've had to learn that. The way, right? <laughs> so the only way it happens is if the people that I'm leading, they actually, they understand what I'm saying. So yeah. I need to make sure that I'm speaking their language. We know language creates culture. And so, um, and then, and then that I am reiterating that message. So I, you know, whatever I'm trying to communicate, I'm, I'm hitting that multiple times. They say you have to hear something seven times or you hear what really registers with you most of the time. Um, and so I'm having to go that over and over and over again. And, um, and so, uh, and then when you're dealing with multiple generations and demographics, it's kind of what, what's in it for them. So like for, uh, most of our staff would be millennials. Um, we, that's, that's a line share. I mean, I'm 48 as I'm one of the old guys on the team at this point. Um, so most of these, um, the team members are millennials. So again, it's trying to understand what, what's, what, what do they value? Um, what's ROI for them? Um, what, what, why are they doing this? Like, like what's their why, uh, connecting that to that, uh, and, and then helping them win at the same time, my job as the, like, I see my job as the, as the primary leader, uh, like at Life Church. I'm, I'm the primary vision caster. I'm the primary communicator. I'm the primary fundraiser and I'm the primary leader and developer of leaders. That's really what hmm. I do. 
And so, so what I try to do is how do I translate the vision and the values of Life Church? Which, again, I'm very simple. Um, I, I, I believe in kind of a simple mindset of this is what we do, this is how we do it, and then we just keep. It's it's the uh, to use a Jim Collinism. It's the it's the uh, it's a flywheel. It's hmm. just if you keep it simple and you keep it tight and you keep it focused then it's going to, it's going to hit. And so like, I, I like in church into, you know, it's either like a Ruth Chris or it's a yeah. golden corral. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. So they both have their purpose, but I think we're more of a Ruth Chris. And so we're unapologetically, this is our lane. This is what we do. This is what we endeavor to do. This is where we're focused on. So what I've got to, so we don't do a hundred things. We just do a few things and we do them really, 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 really well. And we really keep hammering on that and try to keep away from missional drift and all that stuff. So in doing that with the millennials, I've got to connect on a way to say, this is a value. This is how we're exhibiting this. So like an example of that would be back when, um, uh, back earlier uh, with the George Floyd death and with what happened there, um, I began to notice through, uh, through, through several things and comments and whatever, that there was this feeling of we're not doing enough as a church. We're not, we're not whatever. Now, at the same time, we are currently right now, so we took on um, one of, again, I believe in uh, soul winning is core to me, helping people is core to me. I, man, I, I don't care. Red, yellow, black, white, polka dot stripe. I, I love, it. you're God's creation. There's two things that's eternal, people and God's word. That's what we're going to be about. So keep it really simple. So we went into the city of Milwaukee. So we were in a sub, most of our campuses or suburbs of that of, of, of Milwaukee. We went to Milwaukee proper and one of the worst zip codes, one of the poorest zip codes. A matter of fact, Sherman Park, uh, three or four years ago, there were race riots. They had burned down buildings. There was a, uh, an officer that had shot uh, a, a black um, young man in that neighborhood. And I mean, just... It's known for that. And so we go into that neighborhood and take a, a church that um, was an old Assembly of God church, uh, had six parking spots. You know, it's just one of those inner city type of deals. And basically over the last two and a half, three years, we've been, we've put a, a food pantry, trying to minister to needs in the community, serving, adopt a block, all that kind of a deal, just beginning to work through that. Um, I got a campus pastor and actually started a campus there. So it, a teen challenge graduate that actually grew up in the area, that kind of a deal. And that, and that church had, hadn't ran uh, more than 35, 40 people uh, in, in decades. And um, because the white flight and everything else that had happened through the years. And so we're running, you know, we, we're, we're popping close to 200 and it's just going. And then we knew that we needed to do something to the building. So in the middle of all of this with COVID going on and everything, we're investing a million dollars into the structure there to get, uh, to get a, a kitchen up to date so that we really can serve and minister need, get kids facility spaces where they need to be, uh, worship spaces where they need to be, uh, just everything. I mean, we're a million dollars in it, and the building only appraises at 400000 I mean, nobody's hmm. doing this, right? So in the middle of all this, this is going on, and this is what we're doing, and I'm hearing millennials on my team going, but I don't think we're doing enough. And I'm hmm. thinking, where's the disconnect? Now, again – I can blow it up, right? Yeah. And I can eradicate the tension and just go, well, bless God, this is how it's going to be. If you don't like it, you know, there's the door. Um, and I was raised with pastors like that. And I don't think that's <laughs> always wrong, but it's probably not the best way. Or I can just ignore it and just go, well, I, I don't know, you know, whatever. And just, 
the truth of the matter is I want to wade into it. I want to figure out what it is and I'm seeking mm -hmm. to understand. So I began to sit and just have conversation and um, bought lunch, had conversation. I'm picking up on this, what's going on. And what I found is, is that this was kind of their Rodney King moment. Hmm. Um, they, didn't, they didn't remember that. They didn't hmm. remember who uh, NWA was. They yeah. don't know who Ice Cube or Ice T were before they were actors, right? They, yeah. they didn't know them. And it's like, it hit me like, this is their racial injustice moment. I mean, I, I looked at it and I was appalled, but, but, uh, and, um, but at the same time, and we responded and uh, participated in some, in some events and some activities, but at the, at the same time, I also was like, man, we're doing so much. No, I, it never even crossed my mind that there was any, any, any like any, but because my, my, my response is don't tell me what you think, right? Uh, tell me what you Tell me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. Talk is cheap. Yeah. They are coming at from a mindset of, well, silence is violence. And so wow. talk is, is as important, if not more important to them. Whereas as a Gen Xer, I'm like, man, people can talk all day long. I grew up in church with people talking really, really well. <laughs> you know, like I grew up in church in the South. And so it's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but there is no diversity in your church. There's no anything. And it's just like, no, we're doing this. Yeah. And so what I had to do was I had to then translate and I had to do what I think every leader has to do. And that's connect the dots. Okay, guys, this, let, okay, that's great. That's, this is what we're doing over here. And so from my perspective, maybe we need to say more, but this is how we've been. I feel like we're saying things is by our actions. And so what happened is the Gen X mentality and the millennial, these two different uh, generations, come together to go, Oh, so they understood me because I took time to not just seek to be, to, 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 for them to understand me, but I took time for them, for me to understand them first. And, um, and so again, just, I, th I think that that's key. I, I think people with my generation is pretty easy because I know what they want. And so a lot of that is, is in leading them is really more connecting dots with, uh, uh, back to um, kind of uh, cultural context, uh, but but because they are who I am, and so and 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 I am who they are, and so we get that. The generation old, over me, so like my parents' generation, I think that the the way that it's it's connecting with that and leading in that that is understand that these people probably have they probably been saved longer than I've been alive. And they know more than I know. So my responsibility there is to, is to operate with respect, yeah. to operate with honor, and to also, every time I preach, because my preaching is, tries, I try to be heavily applicational and uh, very much current, is to make sure that there's some nugget, there's some aspect, there's some theological truth, there's some like, you know, the, the Bible's like a diamond, there's some facet that maybe they haven't seen before, or maybe it kind of connects the dot, or there's some historical or theological significance that, that has been discovered, or to kind of connect the dots in essence, and the preaching. And, and what I found is, is it's like, that's what keeps them engaged. And it's also then the, the opportunity, I say, look, if you're maturing your faith in Christ, and you're older, the, the greatest thing that I can do for you is give you an opportunity to link arms with me as the pastor, and let's just basically empty hell and fill heaven. 
And we do that by giving and going. And uh, we do that by, you know, loving people. We do that by investing and inviting. We, we do that by serving and then being served. And, uh, and so, so that generationally, that's really where at this point where, where we have been and kind of how, how we kind of, uh, how I try to, to lead, especially in attention and trying to, to navigate that as a leader. You kind of answered my question. So you find it easier to lead your generation. Is that, do you think that's the easiest for you? Oh yeah. Because here's the thing is, so, so I'm a big believer, like, um, so I, I am pastoring in a suburban setting, uh, predominantly, and that's where we started. So Germantown. So it's a, it's a middle upper middle-class area, uh, college educated white collar type of a professional uh, area. Family's really important, all that kind of stuff. It's just typical suburban America outside of a major metropolitan. So we're in a major metropolitan area, but outside of a major U.S. city. So Milwaukee's a few million people, and, and the whole metro area is about probably three million, uh, that kind of a deal. And so, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got professional sports. You've got, um, you've got corporations like Pfizer uh, and uh, Northwestern Mutual, Coles, Harley-Davidson, Briggs & Stratton, Milwaukee Tool all which are Fortune 500 companies that are headquartered in Milwaukee. So, so you've got this metro, metro area, and then you've got the suburbs. I'm saying that to say I live in the suburbs. Well, that's kind of who I am. Like, one of the things that, that I don't ever want to do is try to be something that I'm not. Like, I just mm. think, it, again, it goes back to the whole thing of being self-aware. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a kid of the 80s, so mm. I still like Levi 501s. <laughs> I still like Nikes, right? I still like um, – I, I like button down Oxford cloth shirts. Um, yeah. I'm just, right. I'm just, I'm, I mean, I lost my mullet, but that's about it. I mean, I'm still <laughs> like, you know, and so I still like eighties band music. And the, my, my point is, is that what I find is, is because where I live and what I'm doing, that's who I am. Yeah. So kind of what's important to me as, as a, you know, um, it's kind of important to them and then, and what I'm trying to do is take that message so it's not just their church people in the suburbs, but who are the people that are unchurched in the suburbs? Hmm. Uh, again, I, I want to reach people. I want to see people come to faith in Christ. Uh, that's really important to me. Uh, and again, I know you have transfer growth, and I don't, I, think, I don't think that's wrong or bad. I think it's reality. But my focus is never on that. My focus is on reaching lost people. And so, but lost people in the suburbs and the neighborhood that I live in, we're all dealing with a lot of the same mindsets and thoughts yeah. and challenges i've just figured out that jesus is the answer and and it can really help them kind of close the loop on what they're trying to trying to do so yeah i, I find and but i think though if you're trying to be something that you're not hmm. or do something that you're not or trying to be cooler or hipper than what you what you are <laughs> um yeah you can really look like a fool and really be disconnected very quickly but if you just kind of stay in your lane yeah. and you kind of do what god's called you to do um, then, then, you know, the challenge though, is this, is that, you know, 18 years ago, I had a young family and, um, I was 30 years old today. I'm almost 50. And, uh, my youngest just went to evangel university. Uh, and so she's a freshman. And so we're empty nesters and I'm like, oh, wow. Now I have this, this home in, in, in the suburbs that's more square footage than what I need. And, um, and, uh, you know, and so my, my plate has shifted, my focus has shifted. So now I have to work really difficult, work really hard to make sure that, 
hey, that, you know, that, that age group that I have that's um, maybe it's got kids at home, you know, or whatever, I'm trying to make sure you just have to work really, diff, work really diligently to be able to connect. Because again, you're, it, the thing is, is it's, it's constantly changing. Yeah. And so you're, you're having to constantly change or, or basically you kind of get extinct in a hurry. So that's good. It's a good word. Good word. Before I ask you to pray for the audience, just one last question. How can the majority of this, this listening audience is missionaries around the world, 103 countries. Um, yeah. And so how, how can, what are two or three things that missionaries can be praying for local church pastors for? Maybe we don't know because we're not we're not in the United States. We we don't see. Um, but what can we be? How can we be praying for the local church and the local pastors? So uh, that's a great question. I, here here's what one of the things that I'd like to say is this: is I think the missionaries are the heroes. I think what you're doing uh, and and how you have really sacrificed and given of yourself, especially as far as family or culture, home all that type. I, I just, man, I think the missionaries are the heroes. And I'm not just saying that because um, I'm here with you. I'm saying that because I really, truly, truly, truly believe that. Um, and so I would just, first of all, encourage and applaud every missionary, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whether you feel like you're, you're moving the ball down the field or you're not. Um, just the fact that you have been willing and you've placed yourself in God's hands in this way to uproot yourself, uproot your family, uproot your life, go through uh, cultural differences and seasons and all of that to get to where you are. Um, my hat's off to you. Um, I think raise your reward. Um, I think that uh, I, I just, I'm amazed. Um, and, and, and you're, you're the hero. Um, and so even my comments on local church, uh, I, you know, when Paul talks about the fivefold ministry gifts, I mean, it, it's, we're all part of this together. We're, we're all working to build that local church, whether you are in medical missions, whether you're in education abroad, uh, whether you are doing business as mission, uh, whether you're working with an organization like, like Convoy of Hope or, or so many other organizations like this that are, that are Christ-based, that are reaching and helping people. Uh, it all goes back to that we're all part of the, the church, which is the bride of Christ. And so, uh, and so I, I think, I think the, the big thing is there is, um, is just know that uh, I think most pastors feel this way. They want to do more than what they can. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and, and I'm not saying as a cop out. I mean, we, we just did uh, last year, we were able to, it's been a goal of mine since we've been here to give a million dollars away in missions. Uh, and so last year was the first year we were able to accomplish that. So it took us 18 years to get there. Uh, but, but, but I, I just, I truly do believe when you take care of God's world, when you, when you support missions, when you give the missionaries and you, when you support that endeavor, it, it changes your world. I think the reason why God has blessed us where we are and what we're doing is that we're giving it away, giving it away, giving it away. I truly believe in that God can get it, uh, to you if he can just get it through you. And so I just, I just think that, that what, I, what I would like to say is this, is, um, is just know that we're all, we as local pastors want to do everything we can to help support you and what you're doing. I, I know that's, that's my sentiment and, and the guys that are our fellow pastors with me. Um, and so the second thing I would say is that I feel like we're all part of the same team. 
one of the things we do is, is we, and, like when we bring missionaries on is that we have a relationship with these individuals and whatever they're doing, if we were going to be doing what they're doing in their part of the world, would we like, like if, if Life Church was doing that, would they be on the staff? Would they be on? We have the same kind of DNA and fabric, and so I think missionaries and missions in that regard is very much. Uh, you're all part of the same team. We're just ministering to different bodies of of, of Christ in in around the world. Yeah. Uh, and and as you know, it's it, it's it's a way bigger world than it is in the U.S. So many times in the U.S. we're so U.S. centric. Maybe that's true of any country, but we're so that way that when you get out, it's like you go, okay, God is doing a great work and we're just a small part of this. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I, I would say is this, is just um, um, for missionaries to, to know that uh, I, I talked to missionaries that we support and uh, I just had, a, I had coffee with a missionary last week. And, you know, and one of the things that it was the first term uh, career missionary What's the biggest, what's, what's the biggest thing, the difference from coming from the U S going to an international context and now coming back and being home on furlough? Uh, it was just, it's just, it's the pace that in America, we kind of run at this one particular pace and we think everybody runs at that pace and everybody kind of accomplishes things at that pace. And the truth of the matter is the rest of the world doesn't necessarily go at that pace. It may be faster in some places, extremely slower in other places, but it's a different cadence. And so that means that it takes some time, takes longer, takes more, takes whatever. Um, and uh, I just would encourage you, uh, Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, don't become weary and well-doing for in due season. If you don't quit, you'll have your reward. Um, I think many times missionaries are in places, they're in lands where nobody wears shoes and you're a shoe salesman. And it's going to take you a little longer to get there. It's going to take a little longer for it to happen. But the truth of the matter is, is once you get a pair of shoes on somebody's feet that's never worn them, you've sold them for life. Hmm. And, and there's just what you're doing isn't in vain. And what you're doing isn't, um, it, it may not be as fast or as quick as what you want it to happen. But, uh, but just be encouraged that it's all part of, Man, it's just all part of God's overall global plan, and yeah. we're all one small part of it. And so it's many times one person gets celebrated or one church gets celebrated or one aspect gets celebrated. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is um, as, we, as we read in Scripture, we're, we're all part of that, and ultimately that great is our reward. And so, um, yeah, I, just would, I would just say uh, just encouragement. That, that would kind of be a word for me. Amen. Amen. Aaron, will you pray for the audience? I really appreciate your your wisdom and insight you've shared today. And would you just pray for the audience that God will use this um, and that we'll, we will put into application what you've shared and uh, your words of encouragement really resonate. And um, I really appreciate that and uh, appreciate your passion for the world and for your for your local, your local community. Will you pray for us? Sure. Absolutely. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for the opportunity to be able to be here today and to share. Lord, you know where this conversation is going to go. You know who's going to hear it and where they are in the moment that they hear it. I just pray, God, in some way, in some fashion, that it would encourage someone today that may feel like quitting, that it would encourage someone today that may feel like that, man, they, you know, um, their humanity is, is, um, is a weakness that is just keeping them at a point that they just, they, they can't really accomplish much. God, that it would encourage 
Lord, those that, that may really be struggling in their particular place or assignment in ministry to know that, um, you know, you are at work and that you do work and, and even just trying to struggle in this season. I mean, right now we are in a season, Lord, where with COVID and with everything that's going on, our world is radically different and we're having to pivot and be flexible in ways in which we have never had to in our lifetime. But we know none of this catches you by off guard. We know this catches you by surprise. And God, you're on the throne. And I think because everybody's losing their minds around us sometimes, it's the greatest opportunity for us to be Jesus with skin on, for us to be the salt and light. So I just pray that today you would help this talk in some way, help a missionary or a pastor, a leader, that it would encourage them, that it would help them, that it would... Um, just uh, give them a tool or a nugget or a thought that would bring a tweak about in their leadership, uh, maybe in a particular situation that they're in. And if nothing else, God, that misery loves company. And it's always great when, you know, two are better than one. Woe to the man that falls and nobody hears him when he falls. That we just know that we're not alone. We're not alone in our struggle. We're not alone in our frustrations. We're not alone in our difficulties. And, uh, and that ultimately, uh, Lord, we, we serve you and we live life with the audience of one. And you are the one that rewards that. So I just pray your blessings be upon, uh, upon all those that are hearing and upon this podcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.